Well, on Wednesday, it was a beautiful day like it is today, and Aaron and I went on a walk to enjoy the weather. And we also wanted to just get to know more of our, our neighborhood, so we went down and we went to uh, Hanscom Park, which is d just down the street here, and we started walking around and just enjoying all the park has to offer, observing different things. We saw the, the dog park, we saw the tennis courts, which are pretty nice. We saw um, a, a frisbee golf, a disc golf course. Um, we saw a pavilion, and then we ran into the lagoon, the body of water that's down at the bottom of the park. And, and as we approached the lagoon, we saw a plaque that was there by the lagoon, and it told a brief history of, of Hanscom Park. And from that plaque, we learned that this park is very old. It was designed back in 1889, and, and part of the plaque says this. Early improvements were described in the 1898 Park Commissioner's Report. Quote, two lakes, a cascade, extensive flower beds, two and one-half miles of macadamized roadway. Don't know what that means, but there was a roadway of some kind. Fountains and a magnificent growth of forest trees make this the only finished park in the city. It was the most beautiful of our parks, located in the center of the most fashionable and highest-priced residential property. So we read that and we see, man, Hanscom Park was the place to be in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. And, and while the park is still beautiful today, still has a lot to offer, as we were walking, we also realized like there's some decay in this park. We, we went to a table and we moved the wood off of the table and the wood came completely off the table, which was not what it was supposed to do. Um, we, we also noticed that in that beautiful lagoon, there was a section of, of trash that had, had filled a big the lagoon. And I think it would be actually cool for us as a church to step up and go clean that up sometime. So I think we're going to do that, but that's not the point of this intro. Um, the point of this intro is Hanscom Park has, has experienced some decay through the years. But the park is not the only thing that, that we know of in this world that experiences decay, right? Homes experience decay. Cars experience decay. Um, roads experience decay, especially in the winter in Omaha. Even humans experience decay. And because of that reality, because there, because there is decay like in our world and in our own lives, we need something or someone to hope in that will not decay. What we see in Revelation chapters 17 through 19.5 this morning is a warning for us to, to not be deceived by the world and all the world has to offer, but instead to find that, that everlasting security and identity and life that never decays, to find it in Jesus and Jesus alone. So the main idea I want you to write down or put in your phone this morning is the deceptive beauty of the world decays while the true beauty of God endures. We're going to see a huge contrast this morning. The deceptive beauty of the world decays, the true beauty of God endures. And throughout this book of, of Revelation, if you're joining us for the first time this morning, one, we're glad you're here. Um, two, 
John is, is using a lot of imagery to, to help his readers really understand what is, what is being described. He's helping the reader feel the weight of, of what is being seen as he describes these, these visions. And so in the beginning of chapter 17, we get this, this image, this vision of, of a woman, someone who is dressed beautifully and, and covered with jewels and, and appears to have so much to offer anyone who will come and spend time, anyone who will come visit. So Revelation 17, I'm going to read verses 3 through 6. John writes this. He carried me away into the spirit, into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled greatly. You can't make this stuff up in Revelation. <laughs> the, the warning from, from these verses is clear, though. Do not be deceived by the quote-unquote beauty of the world. Do not be deceived by, by this, this fake deceptive beauty of the world. See, the woman here being described is not a literal woman riding on a literal beast. Instead, John is, is seeing this vision and he's, he's seeing, okay, what is, what is this vision describing? And, and we see that it actually tells us what this woman on the beast is describing. It's Babylon the great, according to verse 5. And then also verse 18, it says again, the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. So, as the original audience under Roman control is, is reading this, this section of scripture and hearing this, this taught to them, their first thought is they listen to the description of this woman and that the fact that it represents the great city, they're thinking Rome. He's talking about Rome. For us, the great city could be the great city of Omaha, Nebraska, right? It could be Los Angeles, it could be New York City, but it's not speaking so much about the, the city itself. Really, it's talking about what the city has to offer. This, this woman or this city is representing the, the allure, the, the draw, the attraction of the world. The money and the fame and the success and the security and the sensuality and, and the power that, that the world is trying to, to offer all who would go with it. So as we know now what, what this woman is representing, look again at verse 4. This helps us understand even better. It says, The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. So 
we see like the draw of this woman, the attraction of this woman is, is strong. She's clothed in purple and scarlet, which would be the, the high end, the most valuable and expensive clothing of her day. And then on top of that, she's got these gold and, and jewels and pearls around her neck and around her, her wrists. She has it all. And then on top of what she's wearing on her body, it says she also has this golden cup, which from a distance looks like beautiful, rich, right? Golden cup. And then you get closer and you see that what's in the cup is actually anything but beautiful. It's a cup that it says is full of abominations, impurity, and immorality. And this is the deceptive nature of sin that you and I have to be aware of. So often the devil presents sin in a way that that makes it look so beautiful. Like it has it all, right? It has everything that we ever need. So beautiful, so harmless, but we find out as we get closer to it, this is actually deception. It can play out like this. We, we can feel these thoughts of like, like the person on the screen looks beautiful, looks harmless, and, and they'll say, oh, it's just fine because it's, it's just on the screen. The bottle on the shelf looks beautiful and, and harmless and uh, can't hurt to just enjoy for one night the whole bottle the the crisp $100 bill is like yeah that looks beautiful and and surely having more of those things will satisfy my heart the promise of promotion through compromise through cheating it looks beautiful and they'll say well everyone has to cheat to get ahead this is the deception of the enemy and we have to be aware of his schemes He wants us to get our eyes off of the beauty of Jesus and onto the beauty of the world because he knows that if I can deceive them into pursuing the pleasures of this world, if that's their only passion, their only pursuit, then they're going to forget about advancing the kingdom of God. And our lives are going to become all about us, all about what we can gain, all about what we can use. None of us are immune to these tactics of the enemy. Even John, as he sees this vision of the woman, verse 6, he writes, when I saw her, I marveled greatly. See, John was was seeing visions of Jesus. He was seeing visions of, of the scene around God's throne. And then when he sees this, this, this image of, of the powerful and beautiful city and all it has to offer He drops his jaw. He marvels greatly. Why? Because as we've seen, one of the most used tactics of the enemy is to make sin look beautiful. But don't be deceived by the apparent beauty of the world, the apparent beauty of sin, because when we get closer, when we look into the the beautiful golden cup that this image of, of sin is holding, we see the reality of what sin offers us. It's abominations and impurity and, and immorality. So the tactic now that, that the enemy uses, we are currently aware of, right? Like we've just learned about it. We've seen his tactic. He, he makes sin look so beautiful, so fulfilling, so harmless that we want to engage with it. And then when we engage it, he flips it on its head, and now all of a sudden we're left with 
abomination and impurity and immorality. It's like a bait and switch, right? Come, like a mousetrap. Come, come, come to the cheese. And then when you eat the cheese, bye-bye mouse. And what actually ends up happening even to, to the woman on the beast itself is the beast turns on the woman and then destroys her, right? Instead of empowering her and, and celebrating her and, and making her look wonderful, which it was doing at the beginning, now the beast even destroys her. Verse 16, the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute and will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. It switches, right? Celebrate, and now you're going to pay the price. As many of you know, Abigail and I have a cat named Quincy. Quincy loves going into our bedroom because Quincy knows the bedroom is off The door is almost always closed, but every once in a while, the door is left open. The cat runs directly into our bedroom. And I think what he's thinking I can't get into a cat's mind, but I think what he's thinking is like, that room is the promised land. Like, if I can just get in there, all will be well. I can go hide, and that's what he does. He gets into the room, and then he goes under the bed and hides to a place where we can't really find him. The only way we can get him out is by using treats. So, when he's in our room, we go grab a few treats, dump a few treats outside of our door, and sure enough, he runs out of the room, he eats the treats, and while he eats the treats, we close the door, and we win. Or he wins, depending on how you think of it. Here's the connection. Quincy is in the promised land of our room, right? He's made it. He got comfortable. He could enjoy the room as long as he stays where he's at. He's, he's already in there. We can't get to him. He can enjoy the room as long as he wants but then the treats come out, and the treats look delicious. They smell good, they seem harmless, but the moment he goes to eat them, the door is closed, and he's stuck on the outside of the room. Why do I share that? Because we need to be warned, don't be deceived by the treats. <laughs> right? Don't be deceived by sin. See, as followers of Jesus, we have something so much more beautiful than the fake beauty of sin. We have Jesus. He's clothed in, in righteousness. In, in his cup, he carries grace. He carries life everywhere he goes. See, he, Jesus, is the true beauty that sin tries to imitate. When we long for intimacy, when we long for pleasure, Jesus reminds us in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, the screen destroys the presence of God. It brings life. When we long for release, we just want to forget the pain and push it away. Jesus invites us and says, cast your anxieties and your cares on me because I care for you. The bottle steals, his presence heals when we long for the security of, and protection of money on earth, Jesus reminds us that he has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That earthly riches 
fade, eternal blessing endures. And when we long for promotion and for power on this earth, Jesus reminds us that the eternal, powerful God came to earth as a man to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. He reminds us the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom where to be great, you are the servant of all. This is a warning to, to all of us this morning. Don't be deceived by the fake beauty of the world because the deceptive beauty of the world decays. In chapter 18, this, this woman that, that looked so beautiful and rich as he sees this vision, this city that, that looked so invincible, so promising, so secure, the, the, the sin that looked so full of life, full of joy, it's destroyed, and it's destroyed quickly. Chapter 18, verses 1 through 3. Say it like this. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast, for all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality. The kings of the earth has, have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. So this great city is destroyed. She deceived the nations into immorality. The kings of the earth sold their souls to her. The merchants of the earth gained great wealth from her, and yet she's destroyed. What do we learn from this? We learn that sin destroys it's an inevitable reality. Sin brings death. It's, it's those who, who are left, like the merchants who, who gained great wealth from her, were doing good, and yet she's destroyed. And listen to these verses. Listen to the people that are affected as, as sin destroys. Verse 9, the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her, will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. Then verse 11 says, The merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore. Verse 15, The merchants of these wares, who gained wealth from her, will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. And then verses 17 and 18, In a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all whose trade is on the sea stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? So it's a sobering result of, of all of these people. If these verses show us anything, it's that pursuing sin, pursuing the world apart from Jesus leaves us broken. For years, these kings and these merchants, the salespeople, the ship people, the, the sailors, they had it all. They had the money. They had the riches. They had the security. But in an hour, this destruction comes, and all that they're left with is their tears. Verse 14 says it like this, the fruit 
for which your soul longed has gone from you. And all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. This is a sad reality, a sad result of all of this. But guess what? We're right here, right now, and this is coming to us as a warning. Like, we're not, we're not there yet, right? Like, we're not there yet. We are being warned this morning, and I think the reason that we're here, that we're all here, is not an accident. It's because God is wanting us to open our eyes to see this reality. He's trying to save us from finding all of this out ourselves through experience. See, if we can see the deceptiveness of sin now, and if we can run from sin to Jesus, if we can look away from the fake beauty of sin now and see the true beauty of Jesus, then we can find life in him. We can find true joy. We can find everlasting joy, everlasting life that does never decay, and we can find that here and now. It's offered to all of us if we will just hear Jesus this morning and trust in him, responding to him in faith, because the deceptive beauty of the world fades away, and, and all those who pursue the, the beauty of sin are left with is their tears. They're alone. They're alone. All, all life, all business, all music, all excitement is, is gone. They're left with the judgment of God. Listen to verses 19 through 24, and then I promise we're going to get to the hope. They threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth, for in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon the great city be thrown down with violence. It will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of the For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints, and of all who had been slain on earth. That's what they're left with. So where's the hope? Glad you asked. The reason that we had to, to sit in, in this, this reality for so long is, well, one, because the scriptures take us there for all basically all of these chapters, but also because we need to feel the weight of the deceptiveness of sin in order to truly experience the freedom that Jesus offers us with his blood. So contrast what you just heard, right? The reality that it says there's no more music, there's no more um, marriage, there's, there's no more light, there's no more parties when, when this city is destroyed. Contrast that with this, the next two verses, Revelation 19 one and two. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, 
crying out, Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. So we, we saw the, the silence. We saw the, 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 the quietness when everything was destroyed, and we contrast that here with the joy and the life and the, the great multitude that are crying out with a loud voice, hallelujah, highest God. He is victorious. His judgments are true and just. You can write it down. The true beauty of God endures. The true beauty of God endures. This eternal rejoicing in heaven shows us that there is one and only one place for us to put our hope, and it's in Jesus. That's why Jesus, in Mark 8, verse 36, he asked, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Because we see here that the whole world passes. The soul endures with Jesus. And so, if you came in here this morning having never trusted in Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity to do so this morning. Like, you and I have, have seen clearly that everything the culture and, and the world tries to ask us to, to trust in, tries to make look beautiful so that we can find life in it, is temporary and is unstable at best. We've seen sin will destroy Jesus, in contrast, he offers eternal life. That means forever, right? This is temporary. It decays. Jesus says, I actually came that you could have eternal life, eternal hope, eternal security. How? Well, if you'll turn away from your sins and turn to Jesus, he will save you. Jesus came from heaven to earth, and he physically died on the cross. On the cross, Jesus took it upon himself on the cross. It was our judgment that he experienced so that we would never have to sit under the judgment of God. And now he offers you forgiveness. He offers you new life, new hope. He offers you a beautiful relationship with a savior who's pursuing you. So we've seen this morning that, that pursuing the world, pursuing the things of this earth leads to mourning. But you need to know that even when you're pursuing the world, even when I'm pursuing the world, guess who's pursuing us? Jesus. Good church answer. It's true. <laughs> Jesus is pursuing us. And, and instead of, of pursuing the world and that leading us to death and to destruction, Jesus is pursuing us. And if we will just turn to him in faith, he says, I will give you eternal life. And that response to Jesus' pursuit leads us to rejoicing. And so the you're here for a reason. The invitation is open to you. He's pursuing you. Will you respond in faith to him? And for those of us who who do trust in Jesus, who have experienced this forgiveness, well, I see two really responses that this text calls us to. First, we respond 
by acknowledging the deceptive schemes of the enemy and by fighting them, right? We're not, we're not ignorant. We know that we are in a battle, that the enemy is trying to deceive us, trying to get us distracted from what God has for us. The devil wants to make sin look more beautiful than we find Jesus, but we want to find Jesus more beautiful. C.S. Lewis described it like this. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased, he says. As followers of Jesus, we we have that holiday at sea literally offered to us. We have true life, true satisfaction, true hope offered to us in Jesus, and yet we can be so easily distracted by the mud pies, by the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the life, the allure of money, that we have these blessings in Christ, but we don't access them. We don't live in light of them because we're distracted. We're far too easily pleased. Jesus is beautiful. And the more that we look to him, the more we remember what he has done for us, the more we look forward to the victory that we will have with him over sin and over the devil, then the more beautiful Jesus will become to us. And the more ugly as a result, sin will appear. We'll join with the psalmist in what he said. Psalm 73, 25 and 26 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Family, open your Bible. See the beauty of Jesus for yourself and you will quickly be convinced that he is infinitely more beautiful and more worthy than anything this world can offer us. And the second call for us to respond this morning is really a call to rejoice. I asked this question a few weeks ago at the end of the sermon. I want to ask it again. When was the last time that you honestly just took time to thank Jesus for what he's done. When was the last time that you rejoiced in the reality that that you were trapped in your sins and you remember being trapped in your sins, but Jesus rescued you? When you rejoice that, that you have eternal security in an uncertain world, eternal hope in a world that's filled with suffering, eternal life in a world that's filled with death, and that you did nothing to earn these blessings. You received them in Jesus. See, the rejoicing that we see in heaven is is the rejoicing of a multitude just like you and me who have been saved by Jesus. So as we rejoice here on earth, like we're, we're joining in that rejoicing in heaven with Christians from from all throughout time saying, thank you, Jesus, hallelujah, highest praise 
to you for your work, saving me from what I deserve. So I want to close as we started reading Revelation 19 verses 1 through 5. And, and then we're going to stand and, and we're going to sing and, and we're going to join in this song. Right, This song that we see in heaven, rejoicing at who Jesus is. So the worship team can come up. And Revelation 19, 1 through 5 says, And power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah. Smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice. This is God's invitation to us this morning. Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Father, we thank you that because of the work of Jesus, we can worship you. Lord, that as we see the, the deceptiveness of, of sin and, and the the allure of sin, God, that just then flips and, and destroys. God, I pray that we would see you as the beautiful Savior that you are. Truly beautiful. Not deceptively beautiful, truly beautiful. Who instead of, of requiring things from us, you actually came to us and you gave your life for us. Thank you, Jesus. God, I pray that each and every one of us would be so just enamored and in awe of you. Jesus, that you would be the most beautiful thing, beautiful one. We praise you, God, for what you've done and for what you're continuing to do. And I pray for anyone who has not trusted in you in here this morning, God, would they make that decision today to trust you? And would they find life in your name by believing in you, Jesus? Thank you. Amen.